You're listening to the Business Made Simple podcast with Donald Miller and Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hey, everybody, this is Dr. J.J. Peterson, and we are living in a new job market, and yet we're still relying on old ways of hiring and creating culture and rules and policy. Today's guest is Aaron Meyer, co-author of No Rules Rules, Netflix and the Culture of Reinvention. And Aaron has honed in on exactly how Netflix grew to become one of the largest global brands in history by throwing rules out the window. And she gives you some practical tips on how you can create a culture and environment that attracts and keeps top talent and allows your business to grow in this new environment and job market. Erin, thanks so much for being with us today. So nice to be here, JJ. Um, I loved your book, and I know that so many of our listeners are going to love this book if they haven't already picked it up. But as I was kind of going through your book and listening to interviews with you, I got so excited about all of the things that were happening at Netflix, right? And I think even for myself, I immediately wanted to start applying all of these rules. You know, like there's really no vacation policy. You can take, you know, whatever you want. And there's this mindset of high performance and high talent and a lot of freedom. And I love all of the sound behind that. And I think all of our listeners would get really excited and go, yes, this is who we're going to be. And then I kind of stepped back for a second and went, before I dive into like, let's give everybody free vacation. (laughs) Why? What led Netflix to really start making these decisions of the no rules that rules their culture? So I conducted 200 interviews with Netflix employees as I was getting ready to write this book, which I wrote with the founder of Netflix, with Reed Hastings. And my biggest realization is that really most organizations today, despite talking a lot about innovation and about um, wanting to be more agile, they're really, they're obsessed still with error prevention and consistency, which was this hangover from the industrial era. Right. Um, So what I've seen is that if you are leading a manufacturing plant today, yes, of course, those are still your goals. But in a growing number of organizations, our primary uh, risk is no longer making a mistake. Our primary risk is that we don't innovate fast enough. And because of that, we become irrelevant, right? So really, yes, as you said, as we start looking at this, we really have to kind of erase a lot of the the basic principles that we learned about business during those 250 years of industrial era and, and start over. That is so huge, even just for myself to think through about leadership in general, is that so much of leadership often feels like you're just preventing mistakes. And that's a lot about control. And there are moments where that is that works. Like you said, there's if you're if you're creating a car that somebody may die if you get the steering mechanism wrong, you better get it right. <laughs> there better be a lot of control in that situation. But that's not the economy that we live in these days. That's right. So I think um, I'll tell this story. The first story that Reed Reed Hastings, the founder of Netflix, that he told me the first time I interviewed him about his first company before Netflix, which was this organization called Appear Software. And when he opened that company, it was just a small entrepreneurial uh, group of people that were operating, let's say, fast and loose. So they didn't have, as you said, control mechanisms or policies telling them what they could or couldn't do. They just used their best judgment to make good decisions for the good of the company. 
right? But then the company started to grow. It grew to a couple of dozen people, to a couple of hundred people, a couple of thousand people. And as it grew, of course, complexity increased and some people did stupid stuff, right? And some people (laughs) took advantage of the freedom that had been given to them. So for example, there was this guy named Jim who used to fly every week from San Francisco to LA. And because there was no travel policy, he started flying first class, right? And there was this woman named Charlotte. She used to bring her big dog to work because there was no policy saying she couldn't. But one day that dog chewed a big hole in the conference room carpet. So Reed responded, as most CEOs do to this kind of thing, he sat down with human resources and together they started putting in place rules, right? So uh, employee handbook, no dogs at work, a detailed travel policy, as you said, vacation policy. And as that happens, some of the the more mavericky, like creative employees, they left the organization because they wanted to work at places that they could run free, right? And as, as that happened, the organization stopped innovating. And in fact, Reed had to sell the company because eventually that whole innovative spirit had just gone out the door. So with his next company, which was Netflix, he was really focused on two learnings. So number one, employee freedom breeds innovation, right? And the second was process kills organizational flexibility. Right. And that's where the kind of the why behind like why so much freedom in a creative organization, because it gives you that kind of innovation and flexibility that so many organizations are looking for today. That's so interesting because so many of our listeners are entrepreneurs and they're getting ready. They're launching businesses or they're in the growth phase. Right. So they've gone from five employees to 20 employees, even through the pandemic. You know, they're continuing to grow. And I think that is something that we're all drawn to, right? Because a lot of times clarity with policy, the idea behind it is it breeds safety, right? Like when you know what the boundaries of the box are, then you actually feel a little bit more safe. How do those two things, because I would imagine that is true statement, right? Like when you have kind of boundaries and processes, there's a sense of, okay, I, I know where I can, I know the sandbox with which I can play in, but then there's also that combats with creativity. How do you balance those two things? Yeah. Well, I think that you've just said it perfectly, which is that safety and security is intention with innovation. And that's because innovation requires trying out a lot of crazy things and some of them not working, making some thoughtful but big risks right, that, that may fail. And then eventually you get this, this innovation. So I really think you, you've hit the nail on the head there. And then the question is, of course, if you're at a position like this, even if you've decided, okay, I want my organization to choose innovation, not security, right? And even if you tell your employees, you know, this is a place for innovative things is not people who are seeking security, right? And at Netflix, of course, they say, we are a team, not a family, in order to encourage, to discourage those, uh, those people who are really looking for a safe environment. But the next question then comes, okay, well, you can't just like have a company get get huge without any policies or processes in place, unless you've really have a couple of other conditions, 
that you've thought through. And what um, what Reed did as he was opening up Netflix was that he recognized, you know, most of the, the control mechanisms, not just the kind of thing you were talking about, like some policies, but also things like, like KPIs or management by objective or decision-making sign-offs, you know, those kinds of things that, that most organizations rely on. Um, if we have really only top performers, maybe we don't need those because in most companies, of course, we put in place all of those, those control mechanisms in order to, to deal with our kind of like medium or not so great employees. And that's why they talk at Netflix about the idea of talent density, which means that you hire a lot less people you pay them a lot more in order to get the best. And then you can start offering this kind of this kind of freedom, which breeds this kind of innovation and creativity. I love that. And and I think that's so important for people to hear that it really does start with hiring <laughs> and deciding what kind of level of employees you're going to bring in, what freedom you're going to give them, how you're going to compensate them. Because culture is not about, you know, I, th I think a lot of people look and go, oh, well, that big company has a cereal bar. And, you know, and so that would be a fun place to work because they have a cereal bar or, you know, that that's what they think culture is or birthday parties in the office. But really culture is about starting from the beginning and saying, we want to establish, I love that concept of like high talent density, right? This idea that we are going to go after the best. And when we do, we're going to give them more freedom. So I think, you know, if I'm a listener, one of the things that I might hear and push back on that, my internal dialogue may say, but I don't have that luxury. What would you say to somebody who really only has five employees right now and is going, well, I don't have the luxury to go only go after the top talent. Yeah, well, everyone says that to me. Everyone says, wait, but I'm not Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please remember, Netflix was not Netflix either. <laughs> um, no, I think that we were, okay, if you're only five employees, okay, well, probably you are really focused on talent density with those first few people, right? But I think later, maybe you get to 20 people. Okay, you get to 20 people and now you say, okay, you know what? Let's go out and hire four new marketing specialists, right? Or we're going to have four salespeople. Well, maybe... Or maybe you'd say, you know what, let's just hire one and really pay them what we were going to pay for otherwise. Uh, so there's a, something that we call the, the rock star principle, which is that if you have one really top level employee, that person can deliver as much value in a creative environment as, as up to or over 10 kind of medium employees. Uh, so yeah, I think that a small organization, as long as you're getting to about 20, you can already start capitalizing on that. But then there's the really, I mean, we have to touch on the really provocative stuff here, right? Uh, because the, let me like give your audience a dilemma. So let's say that you were trying to create a high performing team in order to give your employees lots of freedom. And you really focused on hiring the best and giving them like every penny you could squeeze to get those top people. And then you coached them and did everything you could train them. And now you have a, a team of, let's say seven, I don't know, salespeople. And six of them are excellent, right? They're the best, right? And then you have Fritz. <laughs> Fritz is like, he's okay. He's just like a medium employee. He's not a, a bad employee. He works hard. He's a nice guy, but he definitely did not turn in to the high performer that you thought you were hiring. 
So the question I always ask my listeners then is, okay, well, are you going to fire Fritz? Right? And it's interesting because about 70% of people I've found say, no, I won't fire Fritz, right? I'll keep him on the team because if I have six excellent people and Fritz is a nice guy, then that's probably enough. But what they're not recognizing is that performance is contagious. And I think that that's actually a very interesting premise as our listeners' companies grow. So I have a, a colleague who conducted a study, this guy, William Phelps, and he invited four MBA students into his lab at a time. He gave them a 45-minute task, and he rewarded them financially based on how well they performed. And unbeknownst to them, on half of the groups, there was an interloper who was this actor named Nick. And Nick had been hired to act just like a regular MBA student, but to do some things that were not great. Like sometimes he would act kind of bored and put his feet up on the desk during the task and text his mom. <laughs> and sometimes he would act kind of jerky. Like he might say something like, have you ever attended a business school class before? to one of the other MBA students. And what was so interesting was that Professor Phelps showed in study after study that those teams that had Nick on them performed at a 45% worse rate, even when the other three MBA students were top of their class. And I think more interesting than that was that you can see, I've watched these videos, you can see that during that 45 minute period, the other three MBA students start acting like Nick. And not just to him, but to one another. Like when he's acting bored, they get really bored and put their heads down on the desk. Or when he's acting jerky, they start acting jerky to one another. So that's, I think, really important to think about when we're thinking about what is a high talent density team, right? It's not just looking for the best, but also having the courage to recognize you know, if you have a medium employee, you, uh, employee, you might need to move him out so that he doesn't pull the performance of the team down. I think that's so huge because that's a whole nother culture piece, right? Like you want to be with other high performers who push you. Like if you think about a sports team, you know, when there's like the all-star games, you can see how many, how much fun the NBA players are having playing with other people who are at their level and then how frustrating it can be. They stop performing when they're playing with people maybe who don't quite have enough talent, but who aren't working as hard. And that brings an entire culture down and not only like has a lower performing, obviously, like you can see from those experiments, but you're going to lose those people. They're going to be drawn to places where they can be with other high performing people and look to their right and left and go, this is fun. It is fun to be with creative people and high performing people. If you are a high performer yourself, obviously, like you, you get brought up to their level. That's right. And that's where we really need to remember for top performers, a great workplace is not a fancy office or a sushi lunch. A great workplace is to be surrounded by stunning colleagues, right? And if you have that in mind, if that's your number one goal, then I really think you can get these high performing work environments where it's not just that you're, you don't have the lower performer pulling the rest of the team down, but actually you have that high performance circling up as people learn and grow from one another. I love that so much. I, I, that's the kind of team I want to be a part of. 
I mean, that's where I want to be. You know, I, I think when I first was reading the book and I'm, I'm listening to you, I'm hearing, you know, all of these really fun specific rules and specific things that you got into at Netflix. And for me, it's kind of what I said at the beginning. I wanted to go back and go, okay, let's get, let's ground this a little bit more in the sense of if you're really wanting to create a place that values imagination and creativity and growth and values high performance, if you want to create that, you have to say, okay, then we need to start looking at how we recruit differently. We need to look at how we retain differently. And we need to then create quote unquote policies <laughs> that foster that. And so, specifically, you know, some of the things that you bring up in the book of the no vacation policy, their policy is actually take some, right? <laughs> and, you know, and so talk to me about that, how that then fits into this why because they didn't just start there, right? They they just came to that place and there's a why behind that. Yeah. So the so the, I mean the idea is that and this is I believe true, right? That most companies are really treating their employees like children, right? So the idea is, you know, we have we hire great people, but then we monitor them and we make them check in all the time and we tell them what they can and can't do, and that makes leadership feel in control and it gives us maybe a higher level of of let's say financial efficiency perhaps, right? But at the same time the most creative kind of people they don't want to work there they're going to go work somewhere else, right? So at Netflix, um, they were like, okay, well, once we get these really top performers, we're just going to give them lots of freedom to make good decisions by themselves. But you were bringing up, you know, the vacation policy, which of course catches people's attention and the, also the, the travel policy or expense policy, which are simply act in Netflix's best interest. Um, but I would say that those are really just symbols, right? Those are, are symbols of freedom, which is like, okay, dear, dear employees, I want to show you that I know you'll, you'll act responsibly. And when I show you that, then you'll behave, you'll return by acting responsibly. But the bigger things at Netflix, I mean, the bigger freedoms I actually think are much more important. Uh, and I want to give you this kind of leadership image. So they say two things, right? One thing that they say is don't seek to please your boss seek to do what's best for the company, right? And then the other thing that they say is lead with context, not control. And the image is, if in most organizations, the decision-making uh, image is like a pyramid, right? So you have, the, of course, the chairman who's at the top and the lower-level employees who are at the bottom. Low-level employees, they can make small, unimportant decisions, but for anything important, it has to get pushed up the organizational ladder for approval, right? Um, but at Netflix, instead, they, um, they have this image of a, a decision-making tree, and with the tree, you know where the chairman is. He's in the dirt. Right? <laughs> so you have the chairman who's all the way down there at the roots of the tree and in, in the dirt, setting the context for the organization. This is the way that we are running. These are, are the things we need to keep in mind while we're making decisions for the organization. This is our North Star, right? And then the senior executives are at those big trunks of the tree, setting more context for their areas. But then it's those, those lower or mid-level managers who are out there kind of at the branches that are, are the, the tiny branches, the leaves who are making the, the big, sometimes multi-million dollar decisions every day 
for the organization based on the context that was set for them. So I just will end that, that kind of comment, but you asked me about the why, right? Well, do you want to work for a pyramid or do you want to work for a tree if you're a really creative person, right? And really creative people, you know, they want to be able to dream big and then make things happen. So one of the, one of the whys is that it attracts and keeps top talent. But the other is just growth. Like if you think about it, like, I mean, a pyramid, how fast can a pyramid grow? <laughs> it can only inch because we've got a big bottleneck. But we've really seen with Netflix, wow, this like kind of miraculous growth, which comes from this type of tree format where we don't have the, I have to get sign-offs and approvals from someone at every level. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the future. I would agree. People are looking for companies where they can be high performers, where they have the freedom to be creative, and where they get to experience growth along with the company. We're no longer stuck on the assembly line building something, you know, piece by piece. I think that's so huge for employers to understand. You know, we are in a new market, both just kind of the economy of creativity, but we're also in a different job market right now where people are going to find the places where they really can be a tree instead of a stuck pyramid that's stuck in the same place for 20,000 years. You know, <laughs> you know that that's what we're looking for as employees. And I think also another thing to understand that I kind of go back to one of the things you said at the very beginning is that, you know, policies are in place to prevent mistakes. And when you allow for freedom, there actually are going to be a lot of mistakes. But I think you can't have creativity and growth without mistakes. And so when people start saying, I want to be a tree and I want to do this and I want to move myself into the dirt if I'm the CEO and create all these policies that invite high performing people, there will probably be some mistakes that are made along the way. That's right. And I think, you know, just to be practical for these the entrepreneurs and business leaders of that are, are your audience, when I was doing these interviews, I, I didn't understand a lot of this. And I kept saying, but don't people take advantage of that freedom? I mean, it's not possible to have thousands of employees and no expense policy and not have people abuse that. And you know what? Some people did. Right. But the point was that like there was this guy in Taiwan who spent like, I don't remember what it was, $60,000 on personal travel or something like that. But when someone does abuse the freedom that you've been given to them, don't punish your entire workforce by putting in rules to control the rest of them. Just deal with that one individual, maybe publicly if you need to. Right. Uh, show what happens. That person should clearly lose their job. <laughs> right. Show what happens when people abuse the system, but don't take away the freedom of, of others because of one bad apple that was in the mix. Erin, thank you so much for being here today. This was absolute gold. And for our listeners, all of this information and more is in Erin's book that she co-wrote with Reed Hastings, No Rules Rules, Netflix and the Culture of Reinvention. Erin, thanks so much again for being here. Thank you, JJ. So nice to be here with you and best of luck to all the trees out there. Let's make a forest. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, JJ, I, like every small business owner, I have a thousand questions. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because the first thing I'm going- I knew you would. I'm I rolling my <laughs> eyes going, they're making trillions. Yes. Their, their GDP is bigger than California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they, I, I don't think that's true, by the way. I don't yeah, think no, no, no. But it, the mentality, I think, does work for small businesses and large businesses. But like I kind of mentioned in the interview, 
there's probably going to be a lot of trial and error in this. If pe- people right. can't like just jump to it and go, oh, we're going to do no rules for your business. You know, this requires a lot of thoughtful hiring from the front end, right? Like just understanding there is a level of excellence that has to be maintained and a willingness to let people go if they don't, <laughs> they yeah. don't live up to it. And, you know, the other thing she talked about was the idea that this is really for create, allowing for a lot of creativity. I, I totally buy him. You know, the whole thing reminds me of uh, the years that I, I moved into downtown Portland or near downtown. And I heard, I was writing my first books at the time, and I heard that the humanities course at Reed College was really good. And there were like 300 people in the classroom. And you could actually go to the admissions office and fill out a form and just sit in and take the course. So I started auditing the classes that read. And I would actually sit in on the conference, like 10 of us would sit in and here's this 30 year old dude with these 18 year olds. And they just didn't care. And uh, they had three rules at Reed College. Don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt somebody else. And interestingly, don't cheat. Those were the only three rules. Those rules were not allowed to be enforced by faculty. They could only be enforced by other students. So faculty was never, ever, ever allowed to tell a student what to do or enforce any sort of rules. It's always been the case at Reed. It's still the case at Reed. What you had was a lot of hallucinogenic drugs everywhere. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> it was, it's, I've never, ever encountered an environment like that. And you also had students that were two points above. The average IQ was two points above uh, genius at Reed. The only nuclear reactor in the state of Oregon is on the campus at Reed. Um, and they never have any problems. But it's interesting to me, the thought that, no, you can actually trust people. What you can't do then is fall back on processes. You can't fall back on what I did, A, B, and C that you told me to do, and it didn't work, so you have to keep me. It's like, no, you figure out what A, B, and C is. The point is you produce something that, that makes this company money and uh, or changes lives or whatever we're trying to do. It's, it's actually really interesting. I love it. And I do think there would be a lot of trial and error, you know, figuring out what works for your culture, what types of people you're going to hire from the beginning, you know, setting up even, I guess, processes yeah. of hiring, right? Because right. you don't want to make some of those mistakes. Just hire the right people. You know, we've all met the person who's great at regurgitating somebody else's material. But the person who comes up with the material, that's a different person. And they are not looking for a jail cell to work inside of. That's a great plan of action. If you're wanting to attract and hire top talent, you need to, one, find the right people you can release into the wild. That is your business, right? Find the right people who are going to fit. Two, leave them alone and let them be free. Counterintuitive, really counterintuitive, but I, I personally have been shocked at the value I get when I just give people some, give the right people a lot of rain, right? Three, let them go if they cannot produce something of value within that freedom because you're looking for the type of person who can produce value within that kind of freedom. And that is not everybody. And there's nothing wrong with somebody who can't do that. They just aren't a right fit within this system. So one, find the right people. Two, leave them alone. Three, let them go if they don't work out. Aaron Meyer and Reed Hastings are absolutely right. Leverage is actually right now in labor's hands. It is hard to get great people and it is hard to keep great people, which is why we are offering a two-hour live coaching event on August 26th. And it's all about talent management. In fact, we're going to give you a playbook for hiring and compensating top talent. Doug Keim, who is the president of Business Made Simple and came in and helped us figure out talent management, 
and myself, who was the beneficiary of that and saw the, the before and after results of, of using a talent uh, management playbook, we're going to teach you the frameworks that we've used to grow and scale our business. If you are worried about talent, if you are terrified everybody is about to leave, if when somebody says, I'm thinking about leaving, you panic, if somebody just left and you feel like everything's going to fall apart, go to businessmadesimple.com and register for this event. If you are already a Business Made Simple member, that is you uh, are on the platform, you get it for free. So just make sure you check your email and you you be aware. You do register at businessmadesimple.com for the event. If you're not a member, just become a member. It's 275 bucks and it lasts you an entire year. And then you can come to all the events. There's 12 of them. Uh, and this one happens to be on talent management. So go to businessmadesimple.com and register now. Don't lose your people. Keep your people. Get better people and keep them. Attend our talent management live stream. Go to businessmadesimple.com to register right now. All right. Well, thanks again to Aaron Meyer for being on the show. And thanks, JJ, as always, for sharing that terrific conversation. I loved it. Well, there was a lot there for all of us to learn from in terms of growing our business, especially, like I said, if it's if it's a content business, if you have to create things, if you have creative people, you know, choose really smart people up front who can create great stuff, give them an enormous amount of freedom. And if they can't deal with that freedom, let them go really, really fast because you're just looking for those one or two people who they don't want to be locked into a jail cell and uh, chained to a desk to create. That's just not how the creative process works. Your best stuff comes in the shower. Your best stuff comes after a week off. And then you get this, this million-dollar idea. But then if they're going to take advantage of that system, just let them go. And, and I would even say up front, like put the pressure on, right? We've got to have really great ideas coming from you, and we're going to test this for 90 days. And if, if in 90 days you can create something or give us an idea that we can create that will make us a, a lot of money and pay your salary and more, we're going to give you another 90 days. We're going to keep you on. Uh, but you do have to create something. There is an expectation. And we can't argue with Netflix. Yeah, you know, the other thing that Netflix has done, and JJ didn't get to this in the interview with Aaron, but Netflix has made it they, – what they did was they made it really easy to watch movies. You can just click something on your computer and these days your TV, and everybody followed them. Disney followed them. Hulu followed them. HBO Max followed them. Peacock followed them. Everybody followed Netflix, but they were really the first to make it easy. So how did they get loaded with cash that they could hire all these creative people? They made it really easy for people to give them money in exchange for what they wanted. Jeff Bezos did the same thing at Amazon. So that's another lesson that we didn't get to. But if you want to look at the real success of Netflix, it's not this creative genius. That's how they stayed successful. But really what they did was made it really easy for people to give them money in exchange for something that they wanted. Literally a click, a click. So we always say around Business Made Simple to our coaches, one of the things that you can tell your clients is stop making it hard for people to give you money. I think there was a lot of just practical advice in that conversation. I know you got something out of it as well. Listen, if you need help assessing what's wrong with your business or whatever you're trying to build, you can actually hire a Business Made Simple certified coach. Just go to hireacoach.com. We actually certify the best business coaches in the world, and they can each help you figure out exactly what's wrong, what's going wrong with your business, and then they can give you the tools that you need to fix it. Just go to hireacoach.com today. Listen, that's all for this episode. Thanks as always for listening to the Business Made Simple podcast, where every week we help you discover what's wrong with your business, and then we show you how to fix it. I'll see you again next week. Mm -hmm.